It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along at the start of November, hoping we find each and every one of you in good form. John Paul taking your calls at 1850-333-103. And thank you to John Paul for sitting in for me last week while I was away. Took the week off, a little bit of R&R. And it's always great to recharge the batteries and get a little bit of a break. I always think at this time of the year as well, there's just something nice about getting a bit of a break as you're kind of heading into the uh, winter months. And we, we spent spent some time down on the Mizzen Peninsula. We've been there during the summer and we thought about let's go back there again in the winter. I think it's always lovely to be by the sea in the wintertime. There's something about it and we were truly blessed with some gorgeous autumn sunshine and while it might have been chilly and it might have been windy but when you were wrapped up there was just something so refreshing to be by the sea and that breeze that comes in from the sea and we went out onto the Mizzen Peninsula and that Mizzen Walk. Oh, it is it's just absolutely breathtaking. Parts of this country and parts of this county, we are just so truly blessed to live here. So hi to everyone that we met. I met lots of really gorgeous, gorgeous people in West Cork and people were beyond kind. So uh, thank you for that. But good to be back. Batteries recharged as we head into the winter months. And of course, last night was Halloween. And the first, I can't remember last year because last year we would have been, were we in a lockdown or we were or about, we were going into level five, weren't we, last year? So I, I, I don't know if we if we did have any children call for trick-or-treating. My memory tells me we did, but maybe we didn't. But last night was all set and ready, but it was such a miserable day, a miserable day yesterday. I was saying, surely they, will any of the children uh, come out? I thought maybe in between the showers, some of the smallies might have come out and had all my sweets ready for the trick-or-treaters, but... Sadly, alas, no, uh, nobody called. But then I suppose there was words of warning about keeping children safe as well. And maybe some parents were just a bit nervous about it all. But I think maybe it was the weather worked against the smallies heading out uh, trick-or-treating. And smiling, looking at the Echo newspaper today where they're talking about Halloween now. Dead and gone for another year. Today is the 1st of November. And they're saying the countdown to Christmas begins. And how do we know the countdown for Christmas begins in Cork? Well, the, the Echo haven't nailed 
The Holly Bow is out on sale. It's been a Cork institution since 1897 and it is on sale, as they say, from all good news agents from today. So we, we definitely know that Christmas is upon us. And just actually before we leave Halloween and it dead and gone for another year, I'd be interested in your thoughts on a priest that has come out very strongly against Halloween and the tradition that a lot of children have in dressing up as witches and warlocks and demons. And Catholic schools should focus on celebrating the saints instead of demons during Halloween. And it's according to a Rome-based priest. He's a professor of theology by the name of Father Richard O'Connor. He's actually a priest with the Diocese of Kerry, but he's teaching at the moment in a university in Rome. And he described children dressing up as demons and devils and witches as a complete betrayal of the Christian faith. And I'm wondering, does anybody, any of the little witches and warlocks you might have had at the weekend or maybe they dressed up, a lot of children dressed up on the last day of school. And certainly I passed a number of primary schools on sort of the Friday at the bank holiday as they were about to break up for their midterm break and there certainly was a lot of witches and devils running around the place. Uh, This uh, Father Richard O'Connor was speaking to the Irish Catholic newspaper and he said he believed that dressing up as characters such as devils and witches could be an avenue to the occult. Oh God, I don't know, I think that's going a bit far, isn't it? Didn't we all do it as children? In my day though, we didn't have the fancy costumes. We had the black bin bag and you made a, a hole in the neck of it and you put that on and you put on a bit of a scary mask and if you were lucky enough to have a witch's hat and off you went to, off you went to do your, your trick or treating he said certainly have Halloween parties but have them centred on the saints he said he would expect Catholic schools to give the lead in this respect and he said there's great room for the there's great room for imagination and then he you know he compared it to Christmas and he said at Christmas a lot of primary schools will have a little Christmas play and they'll centre that around the nativity and he makes the point that the children at Christmas time love dressing up as the shepherds and as Jesus and Mary and dressing up as the three kings and he said the same thing could happen if you had a party centred on the saints so I wonder will many Catholic schools pick up on that and get rid of the witches and the warlocks next Halloween your thoughts welcomed on that and just on the whole thing to do with schools. Schools have gone back today after the mid-term break and Dr Tony Houlihan was out at the weekend trying to reassure parents ahead of the children going back uh, today that your children are safe returning to school and obviously this is to do with the high incidence of COVID cases amongst children particularly amongst the 5 to 12 year olds the primary school children who are of course the group that are not uh, vaccinated Dr Tony Houlihan at the weekend said that uh, NEFIT would continue to monitor the level of the disease and they'll review all of the data and he said the international research they look at all of that they look at all of the guidance and they will update the, their advice accordingly if anything changes or if they think that the disease is spreading too fast amongst this particular age group. He said he was very conscious that parents are concerned about the high level of incidence of COVID-19 amongst the primary school uh, children, particularly as they were heading back after their midterm break. But he stressed that international evidence showed that in the vast majority of cases, children who become infected with COVID-19 experienced mild symptoms and for many of them, they don't 
don't even have symptoms at all. There's been many children have been tested because say they were a close contact and the parents were shocked to discover that the test came back positive because they'd absolutely zero symptoms at all. The public health advice, he says, is based on scientific evidence and the direct direct experience of the pandemic in Ireland. He said it shows that child-to-child transmission is uncommon in school settings and that's where there are preventative measures in place like we're seeing in all of the schools and schools have been really good about getting children you know, to hand sanitise and the good cough etiquette and you know, keeping children in, in pods and because of that while there has been child to child transmission they reckon the evidence is there it's not happening in the classroom it's happening outside of the school in other settings and Dr Sam McConkie who is of course an infectious disease disease expert. He said that he wasn't wildly concerned about children returning to primary school uh, today uh, because he said, you know, the evidence is there. Children don't get very sick. Now, there has been calls and we're going to be speaking with the Irish Primary Teachers Organisation and I know the Irish Primary Principal Networks were out last week as well and we'll be speaking with the INTO. There is a call for contact tracing to be reintroduced in uh, primary schools But Sam McConkie reckons that that is wasting resources. He's against returning contact tracing to primary schools. He says instead, if you have the resources to do contact tracing in primary schools, that we should be focusing on improving it in the wider community. Don't be putting the focus back on schools. Sam McConkie said with the inclement weather and the transiting now from autumn into early winter, we're all starting to move back indoors. There's more celebrations and parties uh, going on. He said what we really need is in the community really good contact uh, tracing. And he said that's what we're really going to need over the next number of weeks. He says there's big parties have been going on. There would have been parties at the weekend for Halloween. He said there's lots of weddings going on and people are just moving indoor with the weather turning Turning, And he said that's going to lead to more uh, cases. Dr Tony Houlihan says schools are vital to the health and well-being of the children and it's important that we continue to balance the priorities of safeguarding public health in the community. But we also need to remember and be cognizant cognizant of the psychological development needs of the younger generation. I think he's right in that regard that when we closed all of the schools many parents will say that that had a detrimental effect on their children and for some children they're still trying to get back skills that they lost during lockdown uh, because they weren't interacting with, uh, with other children and you know and I think everyone accepts that the best place for children is in schools but I can see it from a parent's point of view. Parents want to make sure that when the children are in school that they are safe. Tony Houlihan Tony went on then to urge parents and guardians to continue to observe all of the public health advice at home and he said at school drop off and pick up time saying to the parents you know when you're at the school gates remember the two metre distance rule keep away from other parents because it can be a busy time of the day when you've all the parents dropping off and collecting so there's other things that parents can be doing to protect their children so as I say we will speak with the INTO this morning but welcoming the thoughts of parents are you glad to see your children going back into the classroom uh, today but would you like to see contact tracing brought back in. I mean, when we had the contact tracing, we had huge groups. At one stage, there was something like 12,000 children were at home from school because they'd been identified as a close contact. They went away uh, for testing. 
in the majority of cases there was a very small percentage actually ended up testing positive but many children then were forced to stay at home because they were deemed a close contact for 10 days and that was hugely disruptive to the education of young people so um, I'd love to hear from the parents uh, today would you like to see the return of the contact tracing what about antigen testing there's talks about looking at antigen testing that if there was a breakout in the classroom that maybe everybody in the pod or everybody in that classroom would have an antigen test rather than going for a full PCR test somebody says Patricia today is the feast of all uh, saints and tomorrow is the feast day of all souls let let the children alone uh, tell that priest to let the children enjoy their Halloween against the idea of not allowing them to dress up as witches and warlocks. And someone else says, uh, Patricia, I was wondering when you were in down the Mizzen area, did you visit the Lep Halloween Festival, the Scarecrow Festival? I did. I was there on the Sunday of the bank holiday. Unreal. Just unreal. 100 percent congratulations to the people involved in LEP for the effort that they they put in and I was in LEP a few times during the week and every time I was there it appeared to be busy and it was all outdoor and you know families you could see families in their own little bubbles walking around and the children were just so enjoying all of the scarecrows it was fantastic and I, when I mentioned now that Halloween is behind us and Christmas is on the way and the holly bough is on sale from today. Somebody says, morning Patricia, I won't name the premises, but I was in a pub last week and they had Christmas trees up since last uh, Tuesday. Oh God, that is a bit early. But there will be people for sure who will put up, take down Halloween decorations. Some people are big into decorating their homes for Halloween and they'll take down the Halloween decorations and mark my words, you'll start seeing it on social media. People will start putting up their Christmas decorations. To me though, that is a tad way too early. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Members of the National Bus and Rail Union say authorities must act to protect rail workers from antisocial behaviour and downright thuggery, which has now gone well beyond a tipping point. To discuss how bad the situation has become, I'm joined by NBRU General Secretary uh, Dermot O'Leary. Good morning to you, Dermot. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're, you're very welcome. I suppose, can you start by outlining the type of antisocial behaviour that some of your members have been experiencing? Yeah, look, I suppose it's been well chronicled from Friday over the weekend as well. I mean, look, some of the stuff is very, very serious and you know, from threats of sexual assault and rape on some of our women members, you know, to actual physical violence, drug taking, shooting up heroin openly, sniffing cocaine from tables, um, you know, threatening behaviour towards staff, threatening staff that they'll get them, they'll follow them home, we know who you are, you know, it, it, it goes on and on and on, and it's, look, you described it, it's gone way beyond tipping point at this stage, uh, and what should be a pleasant experience for, for, for staff to go to work uh, in a customer service related environment has turned into walking the gauntlet on, the, on, a, on an almost daily basis uh, trying to manoeuvre around that type of behaviour. And, and nobody, Dermot, should be asked to go to work fearing, you know, in dread of what's going to happen on their shift. That's, no, that, that, look, that is the reality. Look, I mean, look, I suppose the stats will tell you that the vast majority of journeys on public transport we're talking about trains here. It, it does affect buses as well. That's majority of journeys are trouble-free. Uh, there is, there are pockets, there are hot spots as well. There are areas across the whole country uh, that our members are more than aware of. And it's got to a stage now 
that the our members know those people quite well, and which has obviously has the opposite consequence. Those people know our members very well. We live in a small country. The transport is a small environment. Uh, so again, the fact that again, I suppose, look, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm on to your show and the people travel regularly to Cork Dublin Line, for example, will remember the old network catering uh, where a lot of the people that are now working in customer service roads used to work in network catering. And, and despite the, it's the bad pay or the low pay that time, they enjoy going to work. Those same people don't contact me in large numbers and saying they're just terrified. It's ridiculous. Did it get worse and did it escalate during the pandemic? Uh, again, I suppose very usually you, you would have thought with the reduction in capacity uh, that I wouldn't have, but uh, there was a, an alarming statistic uh, thrown up by the Irish Examiner quite recently where in June 2020 to June 2021, there was 2,300 incidents reported and of those, 390-odd were aggressive and 70 were attacks on customer and staff. Now, remember during that period of the pandemic, most of the capacity was 25% with the odd pocket of 50%. So it got worse during the pandemic uh, and it just, just demonstrates that there's a quarter of people out there determined to engage in this type of behaviour. Yeah, and you know, I was thinking about this over the weekend. There's an added fear factor. If it's a moving train and somebody decides to kick off, there's, you know, there's nowhere to run to, like. No, there's not. And that's part, look, that's part of the issue. And look, look, uh, we've been calling in the MBI for a dedicated Garda Public Transport Division, which, uh, you know, to clear up some confusion, would be actually a part of the Garda to deal with this type of behaviour. And look, we all know that there won't be a Garda, there couldn't be a Garda in every train. But the fact that such a force or such a division would exist uh, might dissuade some people from engaging this type of behaviour. Uh, again, I suppose our, our focus at the moment is on the employer, who we believe is, oh, look, I suppose they've done their best in one sense, you know, increasing their budget, putting in CCTV, text alerts, but it's all reactionary. And I suppose the problem for us, representing workers, is that where do you go and how do you highlight this issue? Well, the employer has a responsibility to, to provide a safe environment uh, for its staff. So that's why the, the industrial action will cause hopeful. We are hopeful that it, it won't go to that. Uh, unfortunately, uh, because the staff are in the center, we've no choice but to, you know, conduct a ballot. Uh, but again, I suppose just this morning, uh, um, Ralph Regan and the Independent was reporting comments, uh, commitments from the teacher in relation to this issue. And if they were to be translated into action, then maybe there is some hope around this issue. Yeah, Ralph was reporting that Micheál Martin at the weekend did not rule out consideration of a special transport police unit, which is exactly what you've you've mentioned yeah, and you've well, been calling for. Yeah, yes, it, it is indeed. And again, it's a division of the Guardian. And, and the, the peculiarity here, I suppose, is that the Guardian representative bodies would support us in that view. Um, Guardian management might, obviously, they have a different view. Uh, and I suppose one of the things that supported me last Friday is that the Minister for Transport and Climate Action, um, Eamon Ryan, ruled out uh, Transport Police, uh, or a, a division of the Guardian, uh, uh, to, to, to oversee such a division. Um, and his well, reasons? Well, Did he give reasons? No, he didn't give reasons. And look, I, I, look, I'm not a policing expert either. And with respect to Minister Ryan, I doubt he is. Uh, the one thing he is, though, is the climate climate action minister as well. And we're trying to encourage people that used to use public transport back onto it after the pandemic. We're also trying to encourage new patrons onto public transport to coincide with the with the, the urgent requirement. Uh, to reduce the carbon footprint. How do we do that? If people are reading about these and listening to likes of me and shows like this talk about antisocial behaviour. So there is an obligation on, on more than just ourselves in Irish Rail. It goes beyond, uh, and there's a lot of strength to this. And the Garda Public Transport Division, in its own right, it's not the panacea and won't solve it, but it's one of the strands towards resolving it. Uh, we have a situation that we want people to enjoy uh, an experience in Irish Rail. Irish Rail have been advertising recently to get people back on trains, quite rightly from, from their point of view. But the, the 
make that experience more pleasant, we need to deal with this discovery, as I call it. Mm. And I know Irish Rail said that it, it has increased security resources by 50% in the past four years. I mean, is that, just not, is that, just, is that just not enough? Well, look, again, it comes back to the point that you can, you can throw security at issues like this, but once there's no sanctions and no consequences for the people that are engaged in these actions, and security staff don't have the powers of detention and arrest, if you like, uh, there is the, and of course there is, and always will be, there little hotspots here and there that look, one of the strands, I suppose, ourselves and I was very could sit down and deal with some of the hotspots on the Cork Dublin line, for example. Uh, there's some gaps there in relation to, you know, people happening on hop-off stations. Again, they're well-known to our people. Uh, but again, look, the overall situation, because, again, this type of behaviour, going back a number of years ago, we could speak about large urban areas and, and there's just particular hotspots here and there. But whilst there are hotspots, the actual issue itself spreads far and wide across all the rail network. And indeed into the buses as well. But we're talking about the rail here today, you know. Mm. Okay, so the plan is to ballot your members this week? Uh, we're starting this week. It'll take yeah. a few weeks, obviously. And then look, we'll have a result like in the November. And if the mandate is forthcoming, uh, then we'll obviously have to serve the employer uh, with, with note of our work stop, which is probably into December. Uh, again, a place we don't want to be at any time of the year, certainly not around Christmas. But again, we're hoping that, look, the Keisha's comments this morning, as reported in the Independent, um, might be the start of a debate that needs to be had urgently and maybe we'll come up with some uh, some solutions uh, and some interventions in place to deal with this once and for all. OK, listen, uh, Dermot, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks, Good thank morning you. to you. That is uh, Dermot O'Leary, who is the National Bus and Rail Union General Secretary. A frightening experience to be on a train and something like that uh, kicks off both for the staff and for passengers just sitting on the train. What 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 do you do? Where do you go if it's a moving train and someone decides to threaten a member of staff or indeed another customer? 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. With children back to school this morning following the October midterm break, there are increased calls for antigen testing and for contact tracing for all pupils as pressure mounts to keep schools open. Joining me with the views of the Irish National Teachers Organisation as their president, uh, Joe McKeown. Good morning to you, Joe. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome. Now, unfortunately, we are seeing an increase in the numbers of children aged 5 to 12 testing positive for COVID-19. Do you believe we stopped testing and contact tracing too soon for this age group? I, I do, Patricia. And we said this at the time, at the end of September, uh, and I suppose to give an example of the difference, this time last year, if there was a, a case of COVID-19 in somebody's school, the principal will be contacted by the public health uh, people and a detailed risk assessment will be conducted, uh, including you know, analysis of whether the child was sitting opposite other children, whether the windows were open, whether the staff were masked, who they were playing with and so on. And that gave great confidence to principals and teachers and parents that Uh, it was safe to keep their children in school and that the children who needed to be out of school were left out of school. Uh, But this year, what happens is that nobody contacts from the HSE. Parents, very responsible parents, contact schools and let principals know. And principals are seeing cases rising day on day throughout the midterm break and they have no professional public health expertise to help them decide what to do. And when there is an outbreak in a school, the 
the school then can't contact the parents of the other children in that class to say that there's a case? That's right. The, the official advice is that uh, principals do not to do anything and they await a contact from the HSC if the HSC notices that there is an outbreak associated with a particular school. Uh, and that's not really acceptable for principals. Uh, one principal I was dealing with during the course of the midterm break had a situation where there were cases rising in a particular class over a number of days. The teacher in the class was pregnant. Um, the principal knew that there were some parents had vulnerable members in their families, and yet officially is not supposed to do anything. Uh, now, many principals are taking the view that they will certainly try to keep parents informed where they can in relation to cases in their school, because that's the only way they can maintain trust and confidence. Yeah, and I've heard of WhatsApp groups among parents which are trying to share information as well, which the HSC say isn't ideal, uh, but certainly that that is happening. But are you saying that when a child gets test positive for COVID-19, do the HSC contact the principal to say that Johnny in sixth class is tested positive? They used to in the under the old system, but not not necessarily anymore. So you're relying on the parent to ring to say Johnny tested positive? We are. I mean, the only time the public health will contact the school is if they feel there's a number of cases attached to a particular school where there's no other reason as far as they're concerned. Um, so we are dependent, uh, principals are dependent on parents to contact the school. But then at that point, we don't have the public health expert advice that we need. And and so uh, if, if I'm told there's a case in my class this year, then I, what do I do? I contact the public health line and I could be waiting three or four days for a response. So we need to get back to the very good system that we had throughout most of last year, which was very, very effective, because we're now dealing with a much more transmissible variant. I heard the the Taunish, Leo Varadkar, say on contact uh, tracing, saying we don't want to go back to children excluded from school for 10 days, many of them not testing positive anyway. Yes, and he's absolutely right. But we also don't want to go to a situation where children are absent from school because they have COVID, like the 2,400 children who were absent in the week before uh, the Halloween break. And I think there is a role for antigen testing, uh, which should be piloted in primary schools. And so we could still identify the contacts and then perhaps use antigen testing to decide which ones stay out and for how long. So that's a public health decision. At the moment, we don't even identify the close contacts. So we're just allowing the, the virus to spread in our schools and it is doing so quite rapidly, principals are telling us. OK, and just uh, I know Norma Foley, the education minister, was speaking about antigen testing at the weekend. She said it was her understanding that antigen testing may be used in particular incidents in schools. Well, her her department was advised last April to pilot a scheme in primary schools. It didn't do that in May or June, and it didn't do it in September or October. So what we need to do is to make sure we pilot it in primary schools, identify how useful it would be and the circumstances would be, and that's something we should do without delay. I was also reading the papers this morning that with the schools returning the, this morning, extra supports for primary principals uh, are being put in place. Are you aware there are extra supports for the well, principals? I think, I think what's needed there, there is what's meant is, is there have been some attempts to try and address the issue of 
te- substitute teacher crisis that is, is certainly the biggest issue facing us at the moment. Uh, I mean, obviously, COVID-19 and other factors are impacting on all workplaces. But the problem for schools is that a principal has to make sure that they can put a guard of vetted body in front of every single class every single morning. And that's a huge challenge at the moment. Uh, and what the department is trying to do, and we're working with them, is to try and make sure that uh, additional personnel are available, uh, both uh, teachers who are job sharing and career break who can do things. But also, we probably are going to have to look at whether there's a role for uh, student teachers at the moment and how we can use those to alleviate which is a really serious crisis. Mm. Uh, and I know there's an extra addition, 100 permanent posts on the panels. I don't, I don't know how much yeah, of it is. Well, that was a small way. Yeah, it's welcomed, but it's, it's, it, it sounds to me like it, it, it just isn't enough. And Joe, at the moment, parents are told to keep their children at home if they have any kind of colds or flu-like uh, symptoms. So, I mean, many children probably haven't returned to school today because they may, may have a head cold. I mean, is, is that the case all over the country? Well, we think there's a couple of things happening. First of all, it's very difficult for parents to judge what's a cold and what's a symptom of COVID. And we're advising people to be cautious. But what we found going up to Halloween was that very many children were turning up to school with COVID symptoms. And, uh, of course, we have to say to parents, acknowledging that it is extraordinarily difficult for working parents, we really have to say to you at the moment that if in doubt you should keep your child at home, that is going to happen. Um, and this is where we see antigen testing as being really important as helping to ensure that as many children attend school as possible, but that schools remain as safe as they can be. Yeah, I, I still can't understand why NEFIT and the government seem to be so adverse to using antigen testing, because if you look to other countries, it is working so successfully. It certainly is. And what's even worse than the fact that they won't try out uh, antigen testing is they won't even have a pilot scheme. Yeah, yeah. Uh, makes no sense. It makes yeah. no sense. By the way, the CO2 monitors, uh, Joe, are, are they helping classrooms in helping them to stay ventilated? Well, they're a first step in the ventilation, in addressing ventilation issues. Uh, because obviously they will identify classrooms where there is a, a particular problem. Uh, but we need to do two other things as well. We need to make sure that if there are classrooms with a particular problem, that they have access to uh, suitable air filters, and that hasn't happened. And then we need to know if there are long-term solutions that need to be put in place, that there's a scheme for, for dealing with that, and that hasn't happened. So yes, a CO2 monitor helps a teacher to identify if right now I need to open windows but most of us can figure that one out anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does help if there's a particular classroom with a particular problem. But they're only the first step and the other two steps haven't been addressed at all. OK, and already you can see a noticeable dip in the, in the temperature. Keeping windows open could be a bit of a problem as we head into a cold and, and, and certainly last year in, in November and December, and we were lucky it was reasonably mild last year, Yeah. Um, but keeping children comfortable and teachers comfortable and warm, uh, while at the same time keeping rooms well ventilated is a challenge in the winter months in Ireland. Okay, all right. Listen, uh, Joe, um, let's 
I wish everybody good luck as the schools thank reopened you. today. But thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is Joe McKeown, who is the president of the Irish National Teachers Organisation, who certainly has concerns with the return to school today after the midterm. Your thoughts, welcome. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Succession, that wonderful TV show, is back. It stars our favourite, savagely wealthy family, the Roys. And we're inviting you to listen here to C103 all this week as we're celebrating the release of Series 3 of Succession with Now. And you can win a holiday to New York. It's worth €10,000. It includes flights, a limo transfer. You'll stay in a five-star hotel. It also includes a helicopter ride over New York. And there's even some spending money thrown in. To enter, you simply answer the question, who plays Logan Roy in succession? Is it A, Brian Cox or B, Courtney Cox. If you know the answer and you want to enter this competition, you need to text the word holiday and then your answer either A or B along with your name and you send it to 57080. That's 57080. Now please note that the texts cost two euro and you must be over 18 to enter. And by entering, you're in with a chance to win a holiday worth €10,000. One text required per entry. You need to get the bill payers uh, permission and the winner will be announced on the 9th of November. For all the terms and conditions, you can check out the competition page at c103.ie. Now, we've had an email in from a listener who wants to remain anonymous and that's fine, but we have this listener's uh, contact uh, details and you'll see why... She wants to remain anonymous. She's also sent on photographs of the incidents. It says, hi, I'm a HSE home help worker and I arrived at my client's house to this mess outside her gate after her bins had been collected. And she sent on photographs to us of four different photographs. And you can clearly see the two wheelie bins are outside this lady's house and right beside, on on the ground, near where the bins are, some of the rubbish that had been in the bins didn't make it from the bin into the bin truck and they're strewn all over the ground in front of this woman's um, house. This client, this is back to the email, this client is a wheelchair user and would not by any means be able to come out to clean up this mess herself. Thank God I was working with another colleague that day to witness this that people simply wouldn't believe it. The bin collection was made by Country Clean. As you can see from the photographs, her used, soiled and urinated pads are left thrown on the ground. This is just so disgusting. The woman's dignity and respect were not considered here at all. All on show for the whole road and all of the neighbours to see. The embarrassment that this lady felt that everybody else around could see. She's a very private woman and she's felt violated that her rubbish was just left there on show. This, by the way, is not the first time it's happened. Are as I go house to house, I see it all the time. We've tried to address it with them, but we've been fobbed off and it continues. But maybe if you could highlight it on your programme, they might actually start doing the job they're paid to do. You can also clearly see the masks and the PPE gear that we as Home Helps use. 
And in these times with COVID, they, they should not be left lying around. There surely is a lot of procedures being broken uh, here. Um, hope you can address this. Now, we immediately that we got that email in this morning from our listener along with the photographs. We, we sent it on straight away to Country Clean. Now, they came back in fairness to, to them straight away uh, to say, we will be very surprised if any of our operators left litter of this na- nature on the street. They also say that all trucks have onboard cameras and they're going to investigate the matter. So it's kind of watch this space. But well done to that Home Help and her other colleague who were with us, who were with her on that day, who then had the very disgusting habit, not disgusting habit, the very disgusting thing to do, job to do, to pick up all of what was what was left but it was the fact that it was very personal stuff it was like the incontinence pads but the PPE gear is clearly there you can see the masks and you can see but the one of the PPE the aprons that they use those plastic aprons that they use but it was just all strewn just you know all outside this lady's house very very upsetting to that lady who God help her the fact that she's wheelchair bound and the fact that she's home helps calling to her regularly doesn't didn't even have the means to get out and to clear, clean it up themselves so we, we'll wait to see what comes back from uh, Country Clean but as they say they are really taken aback and, and surprised by the photographs as well 1850 and then Marie one of our listeners is looking for a little bit of help this morning please could you ask your listeners is it possible to get plain greaseproof paper anymore? I only seem to be able to find the one that doubles up as greaseproof slash baking parchment. And I prefer to use the plain ones, the plain, good old fashioned greaseproof paper. I like to use it for wrapping up Christmas cakes in. And it's that time of the year where the Christmas cakes and the puds are being made. And uh, Marie is well organised, but is now having difficulty getting plain greaseproof paper and I'm even thinking I don't know when I last bought plain greaseproof paper you write most of it doubles up as greaseproof slash baking parchment which is different to the old fashioned original plain greaseproof paper so let's put the shout out for Marie because she needs to wrap her Christmas cakes please does anybody know or has anybody spotted it on sale anywhere plain it's just the plain greaseproof paper not the one that doubles up as baking parchment if you could help out Marie please let us know 1850-333-103 some of your comments coming in on issues we've been discussing we were discussing with the National Bus and Rail Union about the antisocial behaviour that's going on on trains and it simply is unacceptable for staff to have to go to work and in fear of what they're going to face. One listener says, I was listening to you about abuse on trains. When I used to use the trains, I used to travel from Mallow to uh, Killarney and one thing that I always felt was causing some of the abuse was the sale of alcohol on trains. If people have a few beers and then get on the train and then they have more beers, surely that's a recipe for disaster. Nothing worse than drunk people on any public transport. That's only my thoughts thanking you. Well, I know since COVID began, there's no sale of alcohol on any of the trains and this increase in antisocial behaviour has been because of or has happened during the pandemic. It was there to an extent before, but it's gotten worse since the pandemic started. So we can't, you can't cite the alcohol that they purchased 
on the train. I know one of the incidents was one of the rail workers saying to somebody who got on with a couple of bottles of whiskey, there was a group of them, and when she pointed out to them, you're not allowed to drink on the train because of uh, COVID. You can imagine the level of abuse that that young woman got. And then, of course, they were proceeding to drink the whiskey, so things only got went from bad to worse. So no, that's not that certainly is not happening at the moment. And a Kerry listener says, Hi Patricia, staff in Irish Rail have a really, really tough job, particularly dealing with drug addicts on the train and also some of the, and then because of that, the resultant thuggery. Many travel in groups between stations and there's a huge increase in these troublemakers, some of them travelling with free travel. The relevant government department should explain this. If they're making a contribution towards this travel, could this be happening to the extent that it is? Says a Kerry listener. I don't know why would some of those, why would they have free travel? According to this listener, some of them have free travel passes and they're, they're abusing them by going on the train and getting drunk and causing all kinds of problems. Not aware of that, but this listener reckons it is happening. And then on the priest from Rome telling the children that they shouldn't be dressing up for Halloween as witches and warlocks and that it's an avenue to the occult. JP in Carrick Tuhill says, Patricia, I'd say that priest in Rome should concentrate on the demons and witches that exist within the Catholic uh, Church. Many of those are not wearing costumes. Tell him to leave the children alone. That's from JP in Carrigaline. And just actually on the Catholic Church, this is something that we are endeavouring to look into at the moment. And it was Heidi in West Cork drew our attention to it. And we're trying to get on to, a, to, get on to some priests in West Cork to find out what is happening. Uh, Heidi says, uh, Patricia, I'd like to bring to your attention something that happened at Mass yesterday and ask if it is going to be the same all over Ireland or is it just something that's happening in West Cork? We know we are losing priests and there's a fall off in vocations and not enough young men are choosing to go down that route. But here in West Cork, our priest told us yesterday at Mass, he read out a letter that he had received from the Bishop of Cork and Ross to say that bodies would no longer be able to repose in the church overnight and that the priest wouldn't be available to say prayers at the committal by the gravesite. That now will be done by a lay person. Also, there's to be no funerals on Sundays. I thought before this was to be introduced, surely it should have been put to the people of the parishes. I think if this is to go to go ahead, it'll finish the church. People that have attended Masses all of their lives, then this will be their end. I hope if this is what the Bishop intends, I pray he rethinks that the, because at the end of the day, the church is the people. I wonder what our Lord's thought would be on this, says uh, Heidi. Uh, yeah. Now, I'd, I was talking to John Paul when I saw this text come in. John Paul reckons that it is happening in other areas as well. It isn't just a West Cork issue. And you are right. It is absolutely down to a fall off in vocation. And I have nothing but sympathy and understanding for the priests that are currently doing their very best. They've amalgamated so many parishes and you'll have one priest going from one parish to the next parish, just trying to accommodate people with masses and the other sacraments. So I suppose there has to be a give somewhere. There just isn't enough hours in the day for the priests to do all the work that they're called on with limited numbers. But I, so I don't know, Heidi's 
I take from from Heidi's text, she's quite upset about this idea that there's no, you know, you can't repose in the church the night before. And I'm assuming the reason for that is the the removal then will happen on the morning, which has happened a lot during COVID times. You just have the removal to the church and then the funeral mass and then the person is buried are cremated. That now is going to become the norm in West Cork, but it is down to lack of priests. Will it be happening in other parts of the country? I have a funny feeling it will, Heidi, because the lack of vocations is not just a West Cork issue. It is, it is unfortunately an issue all over the country. Your thoughts welcome. And as I say, we're endeavouring to try to speak with some of the priests in West Cork for their thoughts on it as well. 1850 And here's a strange old one in by WhatsApp. Says, morning Patricia, just throwing it out there. My husband just re- I received a phone call earlier today looking for my son and my husband said can I ask what it is in connection with and the lady on the phone said oh sorry he's over 18 and account of data protection I cannot discuss it with you I need to speak with your son so my husband said well if you're talking about data protection then surely you should be writing to him and not ringing his father which I think is a very good answer says this texture. and why I'm questioning now they rang my husband's phone is that not suspicious? I'm just wondering, has anybody else ever had a similar phone call? Thanking you. Have a great day. Isn't that a weird one? OK, so it's somebody looking to speak to, obviously, a young man. But they ring the father's phone, looking to get through to the son. And when the dad said, well, what's it in connection with? Particularly when you're ringing my phone, to be, to be told, sorry, under data protection, I can't say what it is. I need to speak to your son. It's, I, it's a strange one to me and one I haven't come across before. If anybody can throw light on that, would love to hear from you, please. Or if anybody, as our listener says, have had, has had a similar call to that. Any explanation as to what it could all be about? 1850-333-103. lot going on about climate change at the moment and uh, we know that the COP, uh, the UN conference is going on in Glasgow. It is now officially underway. Michael wanting to comment on that, saying, hi Patricia, and this is to do with climate change. We've closed down our peat production, i.e. our bogs in this country and now we're in the situation where we're, in, where we're importing peat, which then has to be delivered around the country by huge lorries sending tonnes of carbon into the air. We are about to close down our farming industry in this country and very soon what will happen? We'll be importing all farming products, milk, cheese, potatoes, veg, etc. Whatever bright spark came up with those ideas, I'd love to meet them. That is the direction we are heading in and it has to be halted. Yes, we have to bring our emissions under control, but not by wiping out farming in this country. There are many other ways to do it. A far more profitable way in farming to reduce carbon is it is no longer time for denial, no longer time for excuses. It is no longer time for hypocrisy. Now is the time for complete action. Stop pretending. Stop making making belief. Let's face reality. We have one planet and this planet is calling on all of us today to save it. The planet is pleading with us today to save it. Our young people are pleading with us and the leaders of today's world need to stand up and take a complete stance. World leaders should stand with our youth because if our our youth, our leaders don't take complete action today, then there will be no future. And that's why young people uh, Michael are so active when it comes to climate change. But Michael's, the thrust of Michael's text is 
all the focus in this country and all the blame seems to be going on farmers and what will that do to the farming community? Could we end up with a stage where the farming industry will be dead and gone because it simply won't be profitable? And then Michael is right, we end up in a situation where we're importing everything as we're doing with our peat and that brings with it uh, surely an increase in uh, carbon. 1850 our lines are open. C103 Jobs. In Chidani Island Lodging Spa, they've got vacancies for bar and waiting staff, cleaning staff, night porter, kitchen porters and therapists. You can call 023-882-1104. Construction workers are wanted for Carrie Line and Liz Avage, that's in Clonakilty. CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. Caretaker wanted for maintenance of pitches and clubhouses. It's in Blarney, Whitechurch, Grenada and Kilcully. Call 021 And an installation coordinator is required for auto roller doors. They're based in Canturk. CVs please to Catherine at autoroller.ie You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. cmig.ie Live like our favourite savagely wealthy family, the Roys. What you kids do not understand. It's all part of the game. We're celebrating the release of Succession Series 3 with Now by giving you the chance to win a holiday to New York worth €10,000. Flights, limo transfer, five-star hotel, plus a helicopter tour over the city. Now that's living like a Roy. To enter, simply answer this question. Who plays Logan Roy in Succession? Is it A, Brian Cox, or B, Courtney Cox? Text HOLIDAY and your answer A or B along with your name to 57080. Texts cost €2. Euro. You must be over 18 to enter and you'll be in with a chance to win a holiday worth €10,000. One text required per entry. Get bill payers permission. Winner announced on November 9th. For terms and conditions, check the competition page on our station website and watch Succession with a Now Entertainment membership. Go to nowtv.com to get your seven-day free trial with no contract. The lobby group Fuels for Ireland say soaring petrol and diesel prices will continue to rise unless the government uh, stops heaping taxes on every single litre of fuel that consumers buy. Joining me from Fuels for Ireland, uh, Kevin McPartland. Good morning to you, Kevin. Morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome to the programme. I suppose start by reminding us out of every litre of petrol or diesel we purchase, how much of that goes straight to the government? So prices are pretty high at the moment, as your listeners will know. And if you were to go and buy a litre of unleaded petrol this morning, it's probably going to cost around 170. Of that, one, uh, 100 cents or euro is going straight to the government in the form of various different taxes, levies and excise. So it's even more than half. Yeah, yeah, it's closer to two thirds. And, and because prices are high at the moment, the proportion is actually... Uh, a little bit lower. So sometimes it's, 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 it is two-thirds. Uh, right now it's around 60%. And we just had the budget carbon tax uh, increase and went on from midnight to the night of the budget. And did I read over the weekend there's another increase on the way? Yeah, and this is the thing that we, that we have an issue with because, okay, so, so prices are high right now. And, and that's because, you know, the, there's a, you know, the global market for crude oil. Crude oil has doubled in price since January. Uh, 
so the, the, the feedstock that we're using has doubled in price. Um, but also then you need to look at what the government is doing um, and the Minister for Environment, Climate and Communication seems to think that by continuing to increase the price of oil, you'll move people away from fossil fuels. And that's his central thesis. But in fact, and, and this is not new, it's been well established over decades, that, that when it comes to fuel, price increases doesn't have the same impact on demand that it does with other things. So and that's because people are using fuel for necessity. So if you, know, you need to drop the kids to school, and, and my family are from Donnerale in North Cork. I know your part of, the, part of the world really, really well. My mum lives in Mallow. Okay. So, you, you know, people live quite a distance away from where they work or from where the kids go to school. There's not the regular buses. There aren't the cycle lanes that are down the end of my road here in Dublin. You know, they have very few options. Also, there's no um, gas network in rural Ireland. So, and the cost of converting or, or what they call deep retrofitting those older one-off houses, I'm thinking of, you know, again, I'm thinking of my own family's places down in North Cork, you know, could be tens of thousands. But the minister seems to think, or, or, or at least seems to tell us, that by continuing to increase the price, we'll move people away from oil. And that's just not true. The, you know, it's, yeah, it's and, and you know, yeah, you are right. I mean, they can increase the price of a packet of cigarettes and it's an yeah. individual choice whether you smoke or not. But if you've got somebody living in a rural area who needs to get up this morning to get the children to school and needs to get to work... That car is not a luxury. No. And when Leo Varadkar talked about wanting to, to, to help the people who get up early in the morning, they're the people that we're talking about. And, 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 and let's be clear, that, that, that two cent per litre increase that happened uh, on budget day, which when you add fat, makes it about two and a half percent on diesel, actually. And then in the new year, on January 1st, there's, there are new changes to boring technical things called the Energy Efficiency Obligation Scheme and the Biofuels Obligation Scheme, which will add another three cent on. So on January 1st, if we did the figures that we have, and you look back at what the various different changes of government policy have done to the price of fuel, it's, about, it's going to be about 15 cent per litre in the last five years as a result of increasing government charges. And as I say, if you live in Dublin, if you live in Cork City, and you have options where you can change, and people can, you know, I can. I, I could cycle more. I could walk more. I could get the Lewis more often. But I live, you know, in suburban Dublin. You know, I'm thinking of my mum there in Mallow. Like, you know, how is she going to get around? How is she going to go out and see her brother in Ballyclaw? How is she going to get out to see her brother in, in, in Donneril? Mm. It, yeah. It's not going to happen. Yeah, so and then what, you, and the other Rural Island are paying a particularly high price. And the other side of it as well is that, that a number of our listeners pointed out, Kevin, when we discussed this around Budget Day, delivery costs are rising. So we can expect to see prices to rise in the shops. Yeah, and, and, and that's, you know, if you, if you had an economist on, and I'm not one, but if you had an economist on, they would say that one of the main drivers of inflation is the cost of fuel because it affects everything. So if you're going down to the supermarket and buying a sliced pan and a pint of milk and a packet of digestive biscuits, each one of those things, uh, the cost of each one of those things is impacted by the cost of fuel. And, uh, you know, it's really short-sighted. You know, the government is, 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 is just layering cost after cost. And as I say, particularly on rural Ireland, where 65% of homes are using oil for heating and people on average drive twice as many kilometres per year than, the, than urban people do. And, and of course, know, the I, government. I can't see how they're going to get away with it for too long. The government will argue, oh, we have to reduce our carbon footprint. Our motorists almost easy target. 
I think they absolutely are easy targets, but, but let me come back to your point. I, I'm going to agree with the government. We do have to reduce our carbon footprint, and that's why we are looking to, uh, we've asked the government to double the amount of uh, biofuels that go into petrol, for example. They've been waiting two years to do that. We, we're waiting to do it. It's why we're about to publish a report that talks about how biofuels can reduce the carbon emissions from uh, home heating oil. It's why we're working with Oftec and UKIFTA to other professional associations to look at how uh, replacing old, um, inefficient, non-condensing boilers with new units can reduce emissions by 20 to 30 percent overnight. We're, so not, we're, not, yeah. we're, not, we're not saying we don't have to reduce our carbon emissions. We There's other ways to do, do it. Other ways to do it. And exactly. you mentioned, you know, the price of a, a barrel of oil and the, and the crude oil on the world market. Uh, any signs of that falling that might give us motorists a bit of a break? Well, now, if I could predict fuel prices, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't need to be working. So, uh, but what I can tell you is that, you know, this is well established. That if you plot the graph of crude oil prices against the petrol pump prices, there's a lag of about two to three weeks, but it follows the trend. And prices haven't begun coming down for crude yet. So with at least another few weeks of, of high prices before, hopefully, they begin to come down a little bit. And in the meantime, call on the government to say, give us all a break. Yeah, and, 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 and start recognising that when you're hitting fuel, you're hitting rural Ireland hardest. Yeah, good point. OK, Kevin, listen, we leave it there. Thank you for that. You've joined us. Say hi to your mother in case she's listening. Hi, Mum. <laughs> yeah, you ring your mother. Ring your mother. It's important. Every thanks. day. Well done. Well done, Kevin. You're a good son. Listen, so thanks good. for that. Enjoyed our chat. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Kevin McPartland, who is uh, the with the group Fuels for Ireland on something that everyone will accept. Uh, rising petrol and diesel uh, prices. It is us in rural Ireland are the ones who really suffer the most. 1850-333-103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Anoknagree Community Development Group are embarking on a major fundraiser to enhance their local community. And joining me with all the details from Anoknagree Community Development Group is Mike Courtney. Good morning to you, Mike. Good morning, Patricia. And Thanks for giving us the opportunity to speak on well, behalf of Anoknagree Community Development Group. Well, you're, you're very welcome. You've got quite ambitious plans uh, for the village. Now, they were identified in a feasibility study which was conducted last year. Just tell me a bit about that feasibility study and what did it highlight? I suppose, Patricia, um, yeah, we had a feasibility study last year. This was done in conjunction with IRD and uh, Cork County Council. And uh, as well, we highlighted what was happening, I suppose, in a lot of villages around the country that our village was in decline. A lot of our shops and businesses had closed down. And we had noticed that, you know, from being a vibrant community back in the 70s and 80s with uh, 10 or 12 pubs, six shops and a post office and bank and a pharmacy, Knocking Green now just had two pubs, a hairdresser and a small childcare service and a funeral home and a chipper. Our post office closed down in 2017 and with that went our last shop as well. God, so we're kind of a village which so- Sad to see that yeah. happening, and you're right that has happened in so many other areas. It is. 
Patricia, and as, as we had two choices, and I think we had, well, we had either to take it or get up and do something about it ourselves. And I suppose as a group, we came together um, and decided, look, we, we need to sort out this village. This is a great village to live in. It's in the heart of Schlieveluk over here in the Cork-Curry border uh, in the middle of Duhallow. It's a fabulous place to raise children. We said, what can we do to enhance that for future generations, not just for our own generation, but for generations going forward as well. So we, that's why we took out the feasibility study. And that's why we formed our, our community development group. And what what did this study say that the village and the area needed? Well, it basically said we needed um, to to build a, a new community. That was what we're trying to do with the feasibility study. Highlighted that for us at the core division of it was the construction of this new community hub to replace our original community hall. And that hub then will encompass a few different things in it that will bring people we hope back into the village. There was to be a multi-purpose hall that can be used for all sorts of classes, for cultural events, for active retirement groups. We we're hoping to put a cafe in there in a small shop. It can be a vineyard that can be used by our sports clubs, by James, by Zumba. You know, whatever, whatever, whatever you're having yourself. We it'll, It'll be the heartbeat of the of the community. Basically, yes, yeah. that's what we want. And we, we've already sourced our site, Patricia, and we've got planning permission for it. And um, so we're, we're ready to kick off. But we're looking, obviously, for funding in relation to this. And we've applied for all the different grants to all the different places. And we're hoping we will be successful in that. Right. But we can't just uh, let, let other people do it for us. So that's why we've set up all these fundraising events that we've had. We've already had a few drive-in bingos over the lockdown, yeah. which were a great success. We had an online duck race this time last year. <laughs> but they were only small potatoes. They I know, were, I know. know. Have you... So have you... Go big. Have you a target on? Have you a target on how much you need to raise? Oh, we need to raise well for to build the community hub. It's going to cost over a million euros, one point four million euros. It's what's going to cost, but we don't expect to raise that ourselves, obviously. So we're trying to raise our own targets to to show the the, the people who are giving out the grants that we are serious about what we're trying to do. Okay. So that's why we brought in our, our biggest fundraiser to date, which is the, which is why I'm talking to you today, I suppose. It's in relation to our our, our, our draw for an eco-garden room. Now this, I, am, I, I had never heard about this before until your email arrived on my desk. Tell me what is an eco-garden room? Well, it's a, it's a room that can be used for multi-purpose for yourself in your garden. It's made out of uh, uh, material that is sustainable. It's um, but the one we're offering, Patricia, is it's four point three meters by three point four meters, so it's fourteen by eleven, roughly, and it can be used for anything in your garden. It's a wooden structure. It's made by the log, log house up in uh, Kildare, and they're the ones who who are. Um, We'll go to build and install this eco garden room for you. If you're lucky enough to be our winner, I've it's a fabulous room. Yeah. It can be used for anything. It can be used for a home office. We saw during lockdown where people were crying out for space to work from home, and maybe people didn't have that space. It could be used for that. It can be used as a home gym. It can be used as a playroom for your kids, or it can be just for yourself to get away from your kids. Whatever you want to do <laughs> yourself, like so. Um, be, yeah. So that, that, that's our main prize, and it's it, it's valued at sixteen thousand euro, but there's also four thousand euro cash going with that as well. That's for a you big to, prize. It is a big price, Patricia, and there's also a cash alternative. If it's not suitable for you to put up the garden room, you can take the €20,000 cash yourself. Okay, so, so how much are tickets? Well, tickets, Patricia, are €20 for one, and they're 3 for €50, Euro, and they're on sale at present on our on our social media site. That's the main place where you can get them is on our uh, Facebook page, Not to Greek Community Development Group, or on our Instagram page. Now, now, I know not everybody has access to those, so we're also going around to our local shops and centres to try and sell um, 
uh, you know, physical tickets to people. And we'd also, I'd also give out a couple of phone numbers at the end, Patricia, that's okay for people if they want to contact, uh, if, if they want to buy tickets. And the, the draw will be held when, uh, Mike? The draw is on until January, Patricia. But in okay. the meantime, we, we have other draw, you know, bonus draws that are going on. And we gave away 10 free tickets in our last bonus draw. And we have another bonus draw tonight, which is um, when your garden seat set, you know, two rattan chairs and, a, and a, a table, which is generously sponsored for by MD O'Shea's and Killarney for us. So that draw is going to be on tonight, and that will be on live in our on our Facebook page and our Instagram pages tonight okay. for anyone who has bought a ticket up until today's date. Okay, and um, the fact that the draw isn't happening until January might no, make it... No, until early January, Patricia. Early January, so it might make a nice Christmas present. People might think surely, of it coming to Christmas. Surely. And I know, look, people, people are trying to... You know, we, we've had... Um, last year and a half or so where people weren't able to go out or they weren't able to to um, go on holidays or whatever so they might have a bit of a disposable income yeah. that they might uh, want to give towards us and I know we're not alone in, in fundraising uh, there's a lot of groups looking for it but we are a, a small community over here in Knocknagree we are a very vibrant community and we're trying to make uh, a, um, a place for for our young people to come to be proud of and our village to be proud of. We all already have a great Fairfield committee here doing great strides in the tidy towns at the moment and they won an award there last week and, uh, and uh, the Pride of Place award that came second in that So for small villages. So we are doing great work over here and this is just to enhance that again. We, are, we also have plans to build a playground in, in the, our community hub and we're hoping to get good news on that in the, in the near future. And there's also going to be a sensory garden in our Fairfield, which we hope to turn aside on in, in short time as well. Oh, so we have there. loads of ambitious plans over here. As I say, our Fairfield Tidy Towns Committee won second place in the Pride of Community Awards last week. And we're also known for our music and our, and our GA over here in Octagree. But, but we want us to be known for a place where you can raise a family. Yeah. And we see and that our population is, here is only about 600 at the moment. There is a um, real sense of pride, isn't there, for people who, who live in the area or people who who lived in the area in, in the past? There is, of course. I'm not yeah. a native of Knocknagree, Patricia. I'm a native of Killarney. I moved here 22 years ago. And, you know, it, it's, it, I found it, I find it a great place to raise my own children. I've raised four children here. And we have a great school here with great teachers in it and a great community spirit around the place. And that's what we want. We want to, you know, encourage people to, when they're looking for a place to build their house or to move to, to come to Knocknagree. People are probably saying, "Where is Knocknagree? Where is where?" You know, people say the church in the middle of nowhere. We don't say that. We're, we say we're the centre of everywhere <laughs> because we're not too far from the likes of Mallow. We're only half an hour from Mallow, yeah. half an hour from Killarney, forty minutes from Tralee. You know, we're we're in the, we're in a good location. You're very here. central. You are, we you are, are very, very central. And, and I'm wondering as well, Mike, the fact that you can purchase tickets on line reaching out to the diaspora people who were natives of Knocknagree that's exactly what we're trying to do and we're very active on our social platforms Patricia at the moment in trying to promote this and that's what we're looking for we're looking for people who have an association with Knocknagree people who have an association with the Do Hollow area or the Schlieve-Luker area to, you know, to, to help us out here we, we are as a very ambitious and it is, it is a very ambitious project and it is going to cost a lot to do it um, but we feel that our village needs it I mean uh, country life as I say we're not the only village that has um, um, in the, in the, we're losing a population of that, but we, we want to do something for ourselves. Knock the is going to be what we make of it. 
you know, we can't sit back and let someone else try and come in and do it. We need to do this ourselves. Mm, absolutely. Well, well done. Okay, you want to give out a phone number? I do. I want to give out a couple of phone numbers, Patricia. As I said, okay. the are on sale online on our social platforms and we will be going to, you know, some of the local stores. We've been in the Clarny Outlet Centre. We've been in Donahickey's and Rathmore. We're hoping to go to Borbury, Super Valley in the next few weeks and other places that sell tickets. But online, you can get them on our social pages, not to community development group. And you also need to contact the following people, Yvonne, on 87 Nine four five zero nine nine seven, or Moraid on zero eight seven six four two seven five two zero. Okay, and it's and your website address again is it's Knocknagree Community Development Group or Knocknagree www.knocknagree.ie. Yeah, you can get the link to buy the tickets, and that's where we get the link to buy the tickets. But you yeah. find that if you go onto our, our social platform, we, we wish you lo- we wish you luck with it, and we'll keep in contact with you, Mike, to see how your plans progress. Thank you very much, Patricia. Well, well done. Thanks for the opportunity. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Good morning to you, Mike uh, Courtney, Knocknagree Community Development Group, and that's what people need to do. They've got to rather than sit there and moan that everything is closed and everything is gone and the heart of the village and the heart of the area is gone get up and do something about it I mean straight away when I was chatting with Mike thinking of uh, like what happened in Court McSherry when their last shop closed that would have been it they, no, no little shop in the village and the local people decided to get together and they've got that wonderful community shop which is still going from strength to strength. So the best of luck to everybody involved in Knocknagree. 1850 And somebody has asked me to give a shout out and say thank you to everybody who contributed in any way to the Dohalo Vintage Club. They had a vintage rum and it was a fundraiser for Cystic Fibrosis Ireland and they raised €2,610 euro at that vintage run on behalf of Duhallow Vintage Club so well done to everyone that's a great sum of money and stick fibrosis uh, will be thrilled with that we've been talking about churches and lack of priests in churches and it's it's a West Cork issue at the moment but I think it's, it's it is a national issue as well and just on the subject of churches the listener says could you please check if all churches are still sanitising the door handles and the seats after Mass. There are many elderly people going to Mass, uh, says this listener, who's nervous about the fact and is wondering, are churches... Do they still have a roster of people? It'll be local parishioners, I'm assuming, that are doing it. A roster of people who are going in, sanitising the seats where people were sitting and also things like the door handles and the pews, etc. And I'm assuming that that works from church to church and from parish to parish and it's up to individuals. Some kind of a cleaning roster is drawn up by the priest, I take it, and that local people go in and do the cleaning. But is it still happening? A listener wants to know now that churches are back to full capacity are they still sanitising the seats and the door handles if anybody knows let us know 1850 John Paul taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Cork today on C103 Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, 
which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Your thoughts coming in to us. This came in from Burr in Formoy and this is to do with the COVID, your COVID passport and being asked, COVID certificate, being asked for your COVID certificate. Burr says, since the COVID certificate was first introduced, herself and her husband have only been asked once do they have a COVID certificate? She said there have been in numerous restaurants. And this, she's not just talking about Formoy. She said there have been in numerous restaurants right across Munster and she's only once been asked for it and that was at a bar in Dingle. And she's wondering, are others noticing the same thing? I have to say, and, and I meant to mention it at the, at the top of the programme when I was talking about the lovely few days that we had away out on the Mizzen Peninsula last week. Everywhere we went. Every single place we went to where and obviously we were staying in hotels so we were eating out all the time and we were asked for our COVID certs every single time. We were asked for a name and a telephone number for contact uh, tracing so I was really, really impressed uh, with that and I don't know whether it was to do with the fact that there had been a lot of talk before we went into the bank holiday weekend about inspectors were going to be going out and checking to make sure that people were being asked for their COVID passes. And we know we've been hearing, it wasn't just anecdotally, we've been hearing from lots of people like Burr who said that they had been dining out and that nobody asked them for their, for their COVID certificate. And I remember in the week coming up to the bank holiday, before I took my week off, we had Tony Houlihan coming out about it. He said as well, the dogs in the street know that not everyone has been asked for their COVID cert. And he made the point that if you go into a restaurant or you go into a bar, or you go into a coffee shop and you're going to be sitting down and you are about to be seated and you're not asked, then you should ask and say, why are you not asking me for your COVID cert? And if you feel uncomfortable about it, go and go somewhere, go leave and go somewhere else. But certainly, Burr, Last week, as I say, I was out, I'm not out that much. But when I was out last week, I was very impressed by the fact that I was asked everywhere I went. So well done to all those businesses that asked us for our COVID certs last week. Because by being asked for your COVID certs, you just feel a little bit more secure. You know, you feel what this particular establishment certainly is doing the right thing. And then somebody was on with a thank you. Where's that gone? Anne in Mallow was on to say her daughter was driving back to UL last night. She says they were about two kilometres west of Mallow Racecourse and they, her daughter burst a tyre. Uh, I think it was the boyfriend was driving. Anyway, they they had damage done to the tyre and they rang the council today because it, it was a massive pothole that went right across the road, according to uh, Anne. 
but uh, Anne contacted us this morning because she said as a parent of uh, the student, there's other students in the car, she wants to particularly thank a gentleman in a Jeep who stopped on the navigation road last night and helped them change. There was actually two tyres damaged and this gentleman helped them and, and helped that group of students get back safely to college in Limerick. Let us know, Anne, how you get on with the council. And I don't know whether your daughter and the boyfriend, did they get, I know you need to have photographic evidence of the pothole and where it happened and evidence of the damage done to the tyre. But that does sound like it was a pretty bad pothole if two tyres were damaged as he hit into the hole. And it was a miserable night last night. It really was miserable to be out on the side of the road trying to change tyres. So well done to the gentleman who, in the Jeep, who came to their aid and helped them out. 1850 A couple of people then reacting to the piece that I carried earlier on that email that I'd in from a HSC home help worker who sent us on photographic evidence of arriving at her client's house to the mess outside her gate after the bins had been collected. The bins were emptied but unfortunately there was a load of rubbish that had been in the bin that was shrewn right outside this woman's door and the woman is a wheelchair user, wouldn't have the means to go out and clean it up. But what was most upsetting and embarrassing for this lady was that it was used, used, soiled and urinated pads, incontinence pads, along with PPE gear belonging to the HSE home help workers who would have been in and out visiting this uh, lady. And we we got on to Country Clean and they're looking into it for us because they say there's cameras and everything and they're quite taken aback when they saw the photographs as well. A couple of other people have been on about that. Firstly, Liz, Liz, and there's another listener making the same point saying, why were those incontinent pads and the PPE gear, why were they not placed into black plastic bags or some kind of refuge bags? And a Douglas listener says I can't understand how those soiled pads could have ended up on the side of the road surely you'd have placed them in black rubbish bags before putting them into the bin it's very unfair to expect workers to handle them says the Douglas sister and obviously she's feeling for the actual bin collectors well the bin collectors you with wheelie bins you grab the bins hook it onto the back and then they tip them in now obviously some items can fall out so I suppose that's what this Douglas worker is saying that's unfair then to expect if things topple out of the bin to expect the bin workers uh, to pick them up. I don't know if they had initially been placed in black plastic bags and did the bag get ripped somehow. I don't know. I mean, I literally don't know. Or were they literally on the top of the bin and when the bin got tipped, they they fell out. I don't know. I, I would need somebody who works in as a home help worker or somebody who's looking after a loved one at home and you're using continence pads, do you just throw them straight in to the bin for landfill or do you place them into some kind of black plastic bags or some kind of a bin bag first? I don't know what is the protocol on that. And then John in Cove was listening to that email and he says in the town of Cove they have three different bin collecting companies and he reckons all of them are offenders when it comes to not emptying the bins collecting correctly and leaving rubbish shrewn beside the bin or outside the person's house. Uh, John says I accept that there are cameras on all of those lorries but if they look back on the evidence on the cameras they will see that rubbish does fall out from the bins and does end up on the side of the road or on the footpath. John's other bugbearer is why are the bins not the wheelie bins placed back on the footpath where they were left out. Inevitably, a lot of them are left out on the road side as the bin... I'll come now in defence of the bin 
lads here. I suppose they have a route that they have to do in a quicker time as possible. Yes, is it annoying or frustrating when you're driving home? And I always leave my bins out on the footpath. And then when you come home, they're just left out on the side of the road. Inevitably, I can't drive into the, you know, if I want to park the car, I have to get out and move the bin. But anyway, and that can be a sense of frustration. I put it down to busyness, that they're just busy trying to get the bins emptied and get them back outside the person's house. But John and Cole feels they should actually be placed back up on the footpath and left in the place where they were collected from. I don't know if that annoys other people or not. 1850-333-103. Also coming into us, still getting an amount of commentary, I have to say, from people who are not happy about the letter that was read out in churches in West Cork that we mentioned earlier that is stating it was a letter that came from the Bishop of Cork and Ross to say that here from here on in the bodies will now no longer repose in the church the night before and the priest will also not be available to say masses at the committal by the grave side. What will now happen is that when somebody is removed from the person's house or the undertakers, the removal will be straight to the church followed by the funeral mass and then followed by burial or cremation. That's the way they're going to do it. And listen, we're, we are endeavouring to try to get a priest and somebody from Cork and Ross to talk to us. It'll be tomorrow now by the time we're having problems getting through to people. We've now realised most of the priests we're trying to contact are saying Mass. Uh, but in, but we will hopefully talk about it in more detail tomorrow. But I know what the answer is going to be. There just simply isn't enough priests for all the work that needs to be done in parishes. But people are really not happy about this. Mary's in Clonakilty and she says, listening as usual every day, thank you for that. And uh, I was listening to what the bishop said and read out at Mass and this needs to stop not having our loved ones in the church overnight the night before a funeral. I feel is simply out of order. With the shortage of priests, a lay person surely could accompany the coffin into the church, say the, say the prayers and then leave the remains in the church for the night before. Has the bishop a problem with the corpse being in the church overnight? It's not costing anything. I would like to spend time in the Lord's house rather than in a funeral home on my last night. I have nothing against undertakers, but I'd like to be in the company of our Lord. I'm an ordinary person. I'm not over religious, but I really, I really do think the bishop needs to change his mind on uh, this one. Uh, yeah, and the letter states that the letter states that there won't be there won't be priests available to say the prayers at the committal in the graveyard and I'm assuming that's the same if you opt for cremation that a lay person will be there. So that's a good point for Mary and Clonakilty for people who might like to have a removal. Could a lay person actually do those particular prayers? I have, when we get somebody and hopefully as I say it'll be tomorrow I'll find out and see if that is possible. And then Michael says Trish I just caught the end of that email read the changes to the parishes and the priests uh, in West Cork who we've got to remember are trying to serve huge geographical areas. I really feel for the priests and the parishes who are initially affected by all of these changes but let's face it it's going to get worse when we look at the age profile of priests at the moment and in many parishes the congregations are also ageing. I remember Patricia you doing an interview a number of years ago it was a brilliant interview with a retired priest who had written a book and one of the questions you asked him was where does he see things going with the church into the future? He said at the time, in a few years' time, 
we the priests will be like Southstock being driven from one parish to another parish we'll end up grouping funerals and christenings together etc and it'll be due to lack of priests and here we have what is happening now is almost exactly like what that priest predicted and I can't I can't remember who that priest was or when that or what that book was Michael but you have a good memory thank you for that but yes and it is See, I think initially, because this letter was read out at masses in West Cork, people were thinking, is it just a West Cork issue? I have a funny feeling that this is something that is going to be happening in churches all over the country, not just all, not just right across the county of Cork. Ageing population of, the ageing profile of priests it has been a problem for many years and they're just unfortunately not getting enough young men to take up the vocation of priests and the Catholic Church have been trying to do something about that for many years but it certainly isn't working and with less and less priests that's exactly what's going to happen lay people are going to have to pick up the pick up the work instead 1850 what else is coming into us Mike in Bantry is worried about Christmas already seeing as I mentioned Christmas with the holly bell going uh, on sale as and from today Mike reckons that there's going to be a lot of people on their own this Christmas and he said please don't forget us oh, Mike that is so sad is there anywhere is there anyone you can reach out to because I know People hate the thought that there's going to be somebody on their own. And if, you know, you'll, you'll hear afterwards people saying, if I'd known you were on your own, you'd be more than welcome to come and, and join us. Uh, because certainly in my household, I'm the one who organises the Christmas dinner. And listen, and I know with us being told about climate change and not wasting food, I cook for an army and there might only be, <laughs> there might only be the three of us around the kitchen table. There'll always be an extra dinner or two in, in my pot on Christmas Day and I'm sure it's the same in most households, Mike. So what I'd suggest to anyone who feel that they are going to be in that situation, reach out and just see if there's someone that you could pick up the phone to, to say, do you realise I'm going to be on my own this Christmas and see, would somebody suggest I might put the offer and we would, would love to have you around their Christmas table at my cup. I hope everything's okay and I hope you do find somewhere to go this Christmas. 1850-333-103 and I've been asked to do a shout out for Crookstown Vintage Club. They're holding a fundraising run for the Pat Lane Fund. It's happening next Sunday the 7th of November with registration at Crookstown Hall next Sunday at half past 10 and then they will leave at 11.30 sharp. You can get more information from Tony at Crookstown Vintage Club on 087 Two six seven seven eight six seven, and Declan, the PRO, tells me that it's also open to cars, motorbikes, and tractors, both modern and vintage. So good luck with that next uh, Sunday, Crookstown Hall for the registration at half ten. The C one hundred three Cork Diary with Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. And Donnerail Active Retirement Group, they're going to be meeting in the Presentation Pastoral Centre this afternoon. That's at three o'clock. Annam Carra, they offer support for bereaved parents in Cork and the surrounding areas. Their next meeting is this Wednesday, but registration is required. You can contact them on a Dublin number, 404-5378, or you can email info at annamcara.ie. And Ballonhasks Community Development are welcoming back social dancers to the Marion Hall in Ballonhasic. It's next Friday. Dancing is to Adrian Ryan. 
It's from 9.30pm to 12.30. Teas will be served. And please note, you must have your COVID cert and face masks must be worn. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Questions coming in for Annelise Drissel. Please, our nutritional therapist should be joining us in a couple of minutes. But before we go to her, just let me quickly run down through some of your texts and comments coming in. Hi, Patricia. I've just noticed, says this listener, listener my sky has not changed to the new time. It's very strange. Uh, this is, is this the case for anybody else? It's currently reading one hour ahead. No, it's the same for everybody. It frightened the life out of me yesterday because I was checking to see what time did the final episode of Kin on RTE, which I absolutely loved, I have to say. And I was so looking forward to the final episode last night and I was flicking around saying, oh my God, it's not until half ten, it won't be over till half eleven. I was thinking that's way too late for me, way past my bedtime and it being a school night until I realised the skybox hasn't reverted back to, hasn't gone to the new time. So I quickly went online. Twitter was great for that and Sky were aware of it and they had engineers working on it from early in the day yesterday and it obviously, according to this listener, still hasn't been hasn't been sorted out. So yes, no, it's not just yours. It's everybody's skybox is the same. And then on, this is another interesting one that's in. Morning, Patricia. This is when we were talking about the incontinence pads that ended up outside that poor woman's house and she was mortified by it that came out of the bin. Somebody says, I can't believe in this day and age that Ireland hasn't a system slash special collection for incontinence goods as we have in the UK and also in other European countries. It's a special yellow hazard bag bags. They're provided in the UK and you put them outside for collection on designated days and that's from Noreen who's listening to us in South Wales. No Noreen, unfortunately all incontinence pads go into landfill. The same as in with your general waste unfortunately. Now whether it'll one day happen that we'll have those bags that would be certainly a great idea because also when people, when bins are being weighed the cost of incontinence pads and nappies and all of that cost an absolute fortune because of the weight of them. Back to the churches and what's happening with the churches with lack of priests. I, for one, says this texture, would love to be a deacon, but guess what? I'm a woman, so I can't be. It has to be a man married or single, says this listener. And there's a lot of women would like to be very active in the church. And somebody else says that that letter wasn't read out at my church, Kilmacabee, Parish, we were led to believe there was read out at all churches across Cork and Ross. But listen, we're trying to get further clarification on it. Hopefully we'll get to it uh, tomorrow. Actually, one thing we are running tomorrow, we're having somebody on from the rev- from Revenue to talk about the local property tax because the countdown is on now. There's only a week left to register your local property tax. It has to be the value of your house at what it's valued at today. That's why the 1st of November but you have until the 7th to register with revenue. We did an information piece back when the letters first came out and we promised we'd do another one in the final week just as a final reminder to people. So if you have a question with regard to the calculation for your local property tax and what band you're in or not in. Can you get your questions into us? Because we will be dealing with that tomorrow when we have somebody on from Revenue uh, about 25 past 11. I think tomorrow we have an expert on from uh, Revenue. 
high, Patricia. Our carbon footprint is so small when you compare it to China, to India, to Australia, to the US of A, also Germany. German drivers, do you know, are going to Poland to fill their cars. So whatever we do will mean nothing. It's all or nothing. The government is always out to rip us off whatever chance they get. And that's in regards to the interview that we did about the fuel and how much we spend on fuel. Dennis is listening to us in Oxford in England and he says, Hi Patricia, as regards the government taking 60% in duty on every litre of diesel and petrol and any type of fuel you buy, that amounts to a lot of revenue. I was wondering, when, when we all change to electric cars, what will the government then do to replace the loss of revenue, says Dennis. And they are making a lot of revenue on it at the moment. But I think with the cost of electric cars, Dennis, it's going to be a long time before people are making that switch to electric uh, cars. Thank you for your text and hope you're keeping well in Oxford. Hi, Patricia. In reply to the phone call that the dad got regarding his son, It's very clear that the son must have put down his father's mobile number as the contact mobile number for whatever application his son was making. Hence the reason that the dad gets the phone call looking to speak to the son. I've had experience of this with my own son putting down my mobile number instead of his own. Perhaps the son made an application prior to turning 18 years of age and that could be the explanation uh, behind it. Thank you for that. And hi, oh this is, can anybody help out? Sheila. Hi Patricia, I came across that old school cookbook that you did interviews on some time ago that All in the Cooking, wasn't that what it was called? And remember they reproduced it and lots of people it brought back great memories for so many people and so many, I bought one, I have a copy of that somewhere at home as well. Anyway Sheila's dug out her All in the Cooking old school uh, book and she's decided she's going to do some old fashioned baking. Now she said I've most things already in the cupboard like the suet, the corn flour etc but says Sheila, I can't get lard anywhere. Iceland used to have it but now I can only get Fritex and Fritex is beef dripping which is completely different to lard so it isn't good for pastry. Does anybody know where you can get plain lard says Sheila. God my mother got me good for used to buy lard I don't, I, don't, I don't think I've ever bought it in my life Sheila I would even know where yeah you probably find it in the fridge with the Fritex but Sheila says it's just not there anymore. Has anybody spotted lard or is it simply, is it, is it like the greaseproof paper that our earlier listener was trying to get? Is it, no, is it simply no longer available? And certainly, yeah, if Ritex is beef dripping, that's not going to work. But if I always thought large, is lard not beef dripping as well? No. Anyway, if anybody can help with that one, 1850-333-103 on your COVID cert. Hi, Patricia. We were in the Glen Eagle last Saturday night. Everybody was asked for their COVID cert. They were also asked for ID. I actually saw them turn away a lot of people who couldn't produce photographic ID. So they were doubly checking that the COVID cert belonged to the right uh, person. Well done to everybody in the Glen Eagle last uh, Saturday night. And just back to fuel morning, Patricia. When you see the government trying to claw back money from ordinary people by way of local property tax, increases on petrol and uh, diesel from the very people who have to get up early in the morning to go out to work. And then you see them absolutely throwing money at the likes of millionaires in U2, who they have given millions to. 
Millions by the state by Makey Uppy Gigs. I don't know what the Makey Uppy Gigs is. It's absolutely sickening and it's a total disgrace. The only thing I can think of with regard to you two you're talking about is something that is making the news today. And this is to do with government funding, public funding that's provided to an Irish music making programme, which is also backed by Bono and U2, as well as receiving millions of euro in funding from U2 since launching in 2010. It's the Music Generation programme. It teaches children how to perform and play musical instruments. And it's received more than 15 million euro from the government in the last five years. And you know, I'm scratching in my head. I don't think I've ever heard of this Music Generation programme. A review is now expected to begin shortly into the use of public funds. I mean, 15 million is a lot of money and the Department of Education are already seeking out a prospective independent reviewer. They want to see where the money has gone and how it's been spent. You two, along with the Irish Funds Philanthropy Network, have also provided millions of euro in funding for the programme since it launched. Music Generation has undergone a significant expansion over the last few years with plans to extend into more counties and locations in the years to come. Uh, maybe it's just not here in Cork. I'm completely scratching my head. I'm really unaware uh, of it. Anyway, uh, a spokesperson for the Department of Education confirmed it's currently tendering for this independent reviewer because the department is saying we've given you 15 million. How have you actually used it? We will watch that one closely. 1850 Looking for your questions, please, for Annalise Drussell, our nutritional therapist. If you can get those into us, text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And we're off to the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic, where Annalise Drussell uh, joins us, our nutritional therapist. Good afternoon, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcome. Lots of questions in. Let's do our best to get through as many of them as we can. Liz says, hi, Annalise. I have a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. Now, they do eat very well, but they keep getting colds, etc. Is there anything to build up their immune system, please? Thanking you. And that's from Liz. And I am hearing about that from so many many people who've got small children about the amount of colds and sniffles and of course as as soon as they mention it if they're going to near a doctor it's off for COVID testing of course Um, course. and then of course you've been told if they're they're not school going age yet I'm assuming Liz they're at home with you but you can't send children to school you can't send them into the kindergarten because of sniffles it's very stressful and actually it's perfectly normal that kids get sniffles now because of all the lockdown, I mean, they haven't been exposed to germs for quite a while. So they're, it's not necessarily a bad thing that kids get the sniffles because their immune system is encountering this for the first time and it's learning how to fight it. What's important is that they can get over these things fairly efficiently and that's what you want the immune system to do. Um, so I would always recommend for everybody, regardless of age, is the vitamin D as the first port of call. Um, there's a lovely supplement called, um, it's by BioNutri and it's elderberry complex and it's suitable for kids from the age of two onwards. So I know there's a one and a half year old there it would be absolutely fine for that. And they're a little chewable tablet. And in there, there has they have got vitamin D, C and zinc. So that's all covered for the immune system. They've beta-glucans, which are um, compounds that are superb at 
um, ramping up your first line of defence, your T-cells, and that's really important when it comes to coughs and colds because if you can prevent them from uh, gaining entry into cells and multiplying, you minimise symptoms. So the beta-glucans are wonderful and they come from mushrooms uh, um, typically and the Chinese have been using mushrooms for 2,000 years because they are so powerful in terms of healing. It's also got a little bit of elderberry, lysine and B6. So all of these are very powerful natural antivirals antivirals and immune supports. So that's the Bionutri Elderberry Complex and it's great for all kids and I have customers come back for it every year. If people can't get their hands on that one, I think Salgar do something similar. And I know that Pucca, um, that company that makes the teas, they also do an elderberry syrup, which is very good. Um, and I think put your money into those things for kids if they're good eaters because a general multi won't have good amounts of these things in there and also they'll be getting it from their diet anyway. So I think save your money and put it into things that it's un- you're unlikely to get um, in the diet like your beta-glucans and your zinc. Um, the other thing I'd recommend as well then is a good cough bottle. So the, the Comvita Winter Wellness is brilliant. If kids are hacking, it soothes their cough. The other lovely one, again, the, the Pucka Elderberry that I mentioned is very good. And then Dr. Claire, if you can get that in your local health store, Dr. Claire does a kinder kind that's absolutely brilliant for kids and uh, you can give it to kids from the age of six months up which is unusual for a cough bottle so those will do for chesty coughs and clear them up fast Okay and you've answered there's so many there's another similar question I have a two year old a four year old and a five year old constantly getting runny noses and coughs that's in from uh, Paula so everything you've said there uh, will answer Paula's question as well and a lot of other parents with young children and once it comes into the house it just seems to pass through everybody It does of course absolutely so really we all should be protecting our immune systems and because as well you know COVID being a virus as well anything you take to prevent yourself from coughs, colds and ordinary flus is also going to prevent yeah, you from good COVID. Point. Good and point. there is a huge amount of evidence um, that has been showing that people who end up with far severe symptoms of COVID have had very low vitamin D status. So I cannot emphasise enough everybody in Ireland in the country of Ireland from the age of being born upwards now should be on a vitamin D throughout the winter months. Okay, and it's just you say clock change to clock change, isn't it? I normally say that, but I think, Patricia, for the last while I've been saying it all the time because of COVID, um, because, you know, COVID is still being passed around in the summer months, but the flus and colds are very, very, and we get a lot in the summer months from the, the sunshine. This year we've had a great summer, but, you know, with kids as well, people are very protective of children's skin. So a lot of children don't tan at all. So they may not be getting enough vitamin D. So I think for the moment, just stay on it for 12 months until we can kind of get COVID down to the status of less dangerous okay. in a few years. Mary says, could you please ask uh, Annalise, should I be taking something to replace the loss of oestrogen during menopause to prevent illness? Um, I think, Patricia, that we have absolutely no idea how many things that oestrogen does within the women's bodies and probably typically because women haven't been in research, medical research typically, um, and hopefully that'll change as more of our young women go down that route. So I see all sorts of symptoms coming in here for perimenopause and um, postmenopause that you'd kind of think, my gosh, could it be down to oestrogen? You know, I've had myself a movable pain where my wrist could be sore one day and it might have moved to a thumb the next and a knee the next. So it's clearly not arthritis. It's actually a pain that's moving. People get um, low mood, low energy, tired all the time, the sweats. People have their sleep affected. 
um, they lose their libido. And I just don't mean, you know, the sex life libido. I mean, their whole motivation and lust for life um, for a lot of people um, can become an issue. Um, they're the most typical symptoms, but, you know, a lot of people, um, osteoporosis is another one that will affect all women as well. We're more inclined to get heart disease. Our thyroid will, will um, stop functioning as efficiently. We'll start putting on more weight. All of these things happen. So I think it is wonderful to put estrogen into your body. Um, if you want to do it naturally, there's lots of plant-based estrogens. They're mostly called isoflavones, and they're in a lot of the natural health supplements, so your health shop will be able to sort you out for one. But the BioNutri do a great one called Lignin Plus, uh, that's a very good one. Dr. Vogel, uh, they do one called Menopause Support. That's another nice one. And one that works really well because it's a lovely combo is the Meno Herbal by NHP. That's Dr. Marilyn Glenville's practice. Um, that works really well as well for mood because there's some lovely B6 in there. And then if none of the natural ones work, I highly recommend HRT. And I know doctors are very reluctant to recommend it, but the new HRT is a lot more bioidentical. Um, you know, the study that was done that showed it increased with women's risk of cancer, there, it, there, you could pull it apart and say that there were flaws in that study. But I think for everybody, it's risk versus benefit. So I think it's much better not to be a smoker and have HRT than to not be allowed to have HRT and have a cigarette. Mm, so point. it's, you know, it's about quality of life. Absolutely. OK, uh, another Mary says, question for Annalise, please. Any cure for fungus on toenails and also on a couple of fingernails? Yeah, the best thing I think that we find works is the grapefruit seed extract liquid. It's called Citricidal, C-I-T-R-I-C-I-D-A-L, and it's by a company called Higher Nature. And it comes in a little bottle. You can either apply it directly. Now, your toenail probably will go black, which is kind of normal, but it's the new nail that comes up that should be fungus-free. So you do have to treat it for at least two to three months until your new toenail has come up. Um, You can you know, dampen a cotton ball and put a few drops on and rub it all around the toes and the nails. Then a couple of times a week, I'd recommend that you put 10 or 15 drops into some warm water, warm water and do a foot bath. So it gets right in under the nails. And I'd also use it to um, wash socks and to wash those cloth-based trainers, you know, just to put a few drops in the wash because the fungus will reinfect if it's in socks and in trainers. Okay, Margaret was on to us. Um, She is looking for what you would recommend is the best probiotic for a bacterial infection in her small intestine. Uh, According to John Paul, she has called it forcebo, the name of the infection. Oh, yes, SIBO. Now, SIBO is something called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And what it means is that there are bacteria growing up higher in the small intestine um, rather than down, we know that they grow and they should be flourishing down in the lower colon. Now, for many years, Patricia, they did think that the small intestine was completely sterile, but that's actually not the case. And with SIBO, it may not necessarily mean that you've got a bad bacteria up there. It could actually mean that the beneficial bacteria have managed to get up there and are colonizing and they're just in the wrong place. So um, generally what you to do is you don't take a probiotic because with SIBO a lot of people will feel worse because the probiotics going into the small intestine can end up fermenting carbohydrates and cause an awful lot of bloating and gurgling and pain and cramping. So probiotics don't work for everybody with SIBO. The the best thing I recommend is to do a proper cleanse with herbs that are really good to kind of remove uh, bacteria from places where they shouldn't be. So you're looking at things like oregano oil, garlic, um, thyme extract, 
eudiclinic acid, caprylic acid. I use a great one here in the shop. It's called Nutri-Advanced Candex SIBO. So it's specifically designed for that. And you really need to look at a three to six month program to kind of restore the health of the gut. And instead of using a probiotic, you could just put in the food that feeds good um, good bacteria, which is um, a probiotic. And you can get probiotics from things like um, um, onions and garlic, um, provide excellent ones, apples. Now, again, some people with SIBO will not be able to tolerate them until they've started to clear out those bacteria. So just add it in a small bit of time. And inulin is another very good prebiotic that feeds the good bacteria in the gut. And you can start off with the tip of a teaspoon and move it up to a couple of teaspoons a day. Okay, Mary wants to know about black seed oil. Can you speak about it, please, today? You mentioned it before. Yes, the black seed oil is coming from the nigella seed, which is the black cumin seed, and it has lots of health-giving properties. Now, lots of these things, Patricia, get, um, they kind of get into the sort of the zeitgeist of the moment, you know, and they become really popular. Like magnesium is another one now that is very popular at the moment. And it's not always the right product for the right person. Some people would take it because it's wonderful as a natural anti-inflammatory, so it can work for eczema. You can actually apply it to the skin for eczema. Some people take it for joints. Some people take it for heart health. Some people would take it for brain health. So anything that's a kind of a natural anti-inflammatory has a benefit of that, will benefit from the black seed oil. You can get it in capsules or you can get it in a liquid. But I do think you probably need to take a minimum of one teaspoon a day. Okay, I've got to wrap it up there. Annalise, listen, you'll put up all the information online later and we'll talk to you again next uh, Monday. Thanks Thanks for that. Bye-bye. That's Annalise Drissel, healthhubstore.com as heard on the radio all of the items that she has uh, mentioned uh, today. Thank you to a number of people who are pointing out that lard is pig's fat. Don't you learn something new every day on this programme? And that if the lady looking for it tries a butcher, she should be able to get it. And thank you to Mary who did a Google search for the greaseproof paper that the other listener was looking for. She's come across an online company called Nisbets, N-I-S-B-E-T-S. They're located on the Old Manor Road in Cork and you can actually order it online. Thanks for that. And someone else did their local property tax the other day just to be aware that when you're making your return, the price stated on revenue for the bands doesn't include the increase by the local council, which is a good point to point, a good to mention. Thank you for that. We will have revenue on the programme tomorrow. So if you've got any questions with regard to your local property tax, get it into us, uh, please, before tomorrow. Uh, that's where I leave you, though, for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. And we will be back with you tomorrow morning at 10. Then I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.